Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. I have heard that you have been searching for something, a creature, stalking Nui. Excuse me, uh, who are you? I am Casilda. If by too far you mean the death of multiple innocent people and I'm sure a very noble alley cat, then yes, I agree. My sister and I are, we're engaged in a, a game of sorts. What exactly are you and your sister playing for? Well, obviously, my dear, to win. He was ready to order another round of absinthe for everybody before she mysteriously vanished into thin air. Oh, I don't like that. There's something about that that's worse. <laughs> I believe we're all a little bit mad. You have to be a little bit mad to be an artiste like we are. I promise I am not mad. I promise everything I said can actually be corroborated. I don't think that you're mad at all. If anyone's mad, it's that Casilda without a last name. Is it flying? Is it disappearing as she has done? Is it moving in between planes of existence? And there's like this old woman with curlers in her hair and like a nightgown on, and she's holding a shotgun. Paris, September 15th, 1895. Dr. René Landry was washing his hands after a long day at the morgue. He enjoyed his work. He truly did. The young Mr. Vanderbilt had seen right through him earlier that day, in fact, with his talk of being inspired by death. But even still, some days were longer than others. No matter how much you enjoyed your work, it wore on you sometimes, and today had been one of those days. As he finished cleaning up, Dr. Lander heard something coming from the front of the building, perhaps from the lobby. Dorothy, he called, assuming it was the receptionist coming back from something she'd forgotten. No answer. Mr. Vanderbilt? Dr. Landry called, hesitantly but with a tinge of hope. Still no answer. Dr. Landry was beginning to think he had made up the noise in his head when a pale man in a suit stepped from the shadows, making him jump. Father in heaven, man, you scared me, Dr. Landry exclaimed. Keep your voice down, was all the man said. I guess I shouldn't hope for an apology, Dr. Landry thought. I didn't think you needed another batch for a few more weeks. To what do I owe the unexpected visit? My employer requires more, sooner. Short and to the point, with no added information, as always. Dr. Landry nodded, his mind racing. Didn't they work with other doctors in the city? And elsewhere, too, he was sure of it. He was never quite sure where the man's accent was from, but it certainly wasn't around here. And what could be so special about Parisian blood anyway? They must be collecting from all over. Dr. Landry opened one of the drawers in the morgue, and as the haze from inside the freezing chamber dissipated, he looked down at the contents. Not a body in this drawer, but several jars filled with blood. Have you received anything out of the ordinary recently? The man asked as Dr. Landry began to load the jars into the bag. Out of the ordinary? What was he talking about? And what did it matter? Well, there was a body that came in today. Its arm had been removed, and the wound contained several strange substances. Dr. Landry started to go into more detail, but the man cut him off with a request for a jar of this new corpse's blood. You know my employer, and yours. You do not want to refuse the request. Dr. Landry shuddered, and it had nothing to do with the temperature inside the drawer. He did indeed know who his employer was, and he wanted nothing less than to refuse a request.
So in the rulebook for the Yellow King RPG, um, in the advice that they give game masters or game moderators, I think is what it's called in Yellow King, they talk about how to feed clues and information to players. Um, and it says that, you know, because players all have these investigative abilities, they automatically get the information if they use one of those abilities. It can be like you have a choice, right? You can you can just give a player who you know has that investigative ability the information as it arises, which I definitely do sometimes, especially if it's kind of you know, factual information about a place that you are or something that you find, something like that. I'll almost always kind of give you that because I imagine that those things are kind of popping in your head as you're experiencing them. But it also says, you know, you can wait for the players to say, can I use this in this particular mm. situation? I think that more often comes up when you're doing interpersonal abilities, like can I try to go this direction with a particular person? Now, there is an interpersonal, or sorry, there is a, an investigative ability that two members of this party have, uh, Rose and Francis, hmm. that you didn't use in your conversation with Casilda, which I'm a little surprised that you didn't say, can I do this? Um, any guesses what that ability is? Is it steal? Mm-mm. Assess honesty. Assess honesty. Oh, um, didn't think about it. Oh. Did so my, not think about it. Oh, no. So my question for the group is, <laughs> and this is not your players, this is not the characters, this is you as players, how mm. honest do you mm -hmm. think Casilda was being? Listen, when a woman appears and disappears right in front of you, you just take her on face value. You know what I mean? She's working with something you don't have. So <laughs> You assume that she's just a very honest person. Yeah. yeah you know? Do you I think feel... that? No. <laughs> I don't I think I think that some of what she said was true, for sure. Exactly. But I think there is so much more she's not telling us than mm -hmm. what she told us. Yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it would be foolish of her to have given us, and like she didn't even say that much, right? But I think of what she said, it was probably mostly true. Okay. Yeah, I think she's honest about the the facts of whatever she said, but the motivations mm. are opaque to us and probably darker than she would let on. <laughs> and what they mean in context. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like she wants us to stop this thing of her sister's. But it's also like, like that, I believe. Yeah. But I also am like, but then it's like, what is she putting out there? Like, yeah. what's the ramification of that going to be? And like, I don't know. Like, now I've had this thought of like, if she's enlisting us to help stop her sister, who's her sister enlisting? Yeah. To help stop us? <gasps> <gasps> oh, <laughs> you know? I don't like like it. You're probably playing with a similar playbook here. So. <laughs> I am what now a, wondering oh. if there is any reason that she would want us to, like, she's actually just trying to get us, like, killed or something. Like, she oh. wants us to, like, follow this thing so that, but, like, if that thing oh. wanted to attack us, I feel like it could just do that. <laughs> it doesn't really need us to follow it. Seems pretty yeah. skilled. And what if Camilla's not, what if Camilla's actually, let's just take it, let's just go all the way with this. What if Camilla's <laughs> actually not bad? And what if this little gremlin thing is actually, mm. like, killing people who, like, <gasps> do bad things or are, like, 
bad people. You know what I mean? We don't know anything about Bastian. Like, yeah, he seemed like a True. simple old True. gardener, but old gardeners can have <laughs> secrets, you know? Yeah. I One of my favorite things that I've learned in recent years, I read the Iliad for the first time. Wow. And yeah. I got Ooh. very excited when they introduced the character of Camilla, um, because she's this incredible like warrior woman and she's got this amazing introduction and then she kind of mostly disappears, which is a shame. Um, but like it made me realize that my primary association with the name Camilla was honestly the chicken that Gonzo loves, um, which <laughs> is unexpected, but <laughs> oh. so for all I know, it could be a chicken or it could be a warrior woman, the sister. You never I don't know. What is that a reference to? I don't. The Muppets, Gonzo. He's oh. in love with a chicken named Camilla. Do you not know your Muppet lore? No. I don't. Actually, I, I feel I like a deep cut right there, Emily. <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's that's impressive. I thought you were gonna go with like no. the current the, the king queen. of England's uh, wife. No, she yeah. never occurs to me. Yeah. Not compared to the chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ranking of celebrity in your mind. Yes. I mean, like you know, chicken she's a warrior chicken. woman. Yeah, she right. got like little eye Muppet eyelashes. Princess Camilla. <laughs> Queen Consort. Yeah. yeah, Queen Consort Camilla. Queen Consort. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the game that she talked about? Oh. I, that's a really good question. Like, I, I I, kind of see this whole thing as like not really some sort of like, you know, Manichaean good versus evil. And it's sort of, there are like completely different stakes here that we don't really know. Um, and I'm not sure how much we will learn about that, honestly. I'm, re- but I, I like kind of want to use this opportunity, even if she's using us, to like learn more and get to the bottom of it. Lest I, lest I be accused of favoritism, Chris may rival Emily in the amount of times he says that's a great <laughs> question. So <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to just poke fun at Emily for her for doing yeah. it when I when Chris does it as you're, much, if not more often. You're just full of great questions. He asks really good <laughs> questions. Oh. Absolutely. Sorry, Emily. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say that like the thing that I think is on Francis's mind right now, right, is because like Francis's context is that like there's her normal world that like things are coming into and i think that like i am i'm wondering how much of this game is meant to be confined to carcosa and that like the thing that's happening that's not supposed to happen is that it's encroaching into where we are or if there is another concurrent layer that is happening that we just have no exposure to. And this is not new at all. Um, that like she has had her whatever they are forces out here as well. Um, yeah, there's just so much that we don't know about what's happening. I just have like a pretty certain feeling that Casilda is not good. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like a not, I think it feels like a not so much like, right, like a good versus bad, but like yeah, a, here's absolutely. a one type of evil versus a different type of yeah, evil. Yeah. And like, they not, might not be working in tandem with each other, but it like, it almost to me feels like a little bit of a, like who has sway over Paris type of thing. Ooh. Like a, like a, like a playground situation. A of like who, yeah. yeah. Like who's on top right now. But you know, it's like. But the stakes for them are, it, it's almost like that, like, you know, God's playing type of thing. It's like the stakes mm. are low for them because they're just like, this is fun torturing all these people. Yeah. But it's like, who's like, yeah, who's the worst bad or who's the less bad? 
Well, and I think there's that. a I think there's a question to um, this is not meant to call anyone out, but I, I encouraged all of the players who were going to be part of the Yellow King campaign to at some point read the Yellow King stories. And I actually hadn't read them before I ran the first couple of Yellow King seasons, but I have read them now. And I'm not totally convinced that there is a clear good and bad in the Yellow King stories. Mm -hmm. I think there's fear. I think there's death. I think there's corruption, like all of those things. But like, I'm not sure that a value judgment is being placed on the powers of Carcosa as vague as they are in those stories. Yeah. Yeah. Because it like none of the like the mythology of Caracosa that comes into games like this is laid out clearly anywhere in the Yellow King short yeah. stories, right? Like that has all been created afterwards. And each it even there's a section in the rulebook that talks about how you can customize how this all works for your own game, which you know so so the way it works in our game could be very different from the way it works in someone else who's playing all of Kazilda song, right? Like it's it's it doesn't necessarily need to work quite the same way. But I, I wonder how you as players and I wonder how you as your characters will kind of evaluate what evil is, mm. what, you know, like, because you don't necessarily have to be moralistic in that way. But I, I think it's also a tendency to do that, right? Like, I think I think people think of role-playing games, I think people think of D&D, and then I think they think of good fighting evil. Right, like there's yeah. an alignment system in D and D and Pathfinder. There, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's very clear. It has like rule. It has like actual mechanical um, effects, mm-hmm. and I think it's much more vague in this sense. It's like I think the only the only real distinguishing things are healthy and hurt, and sane and crazy. Right, mm-hmm. like other than that, I'm not sure that there's a lot else. Yeah. that like you have to do or be. Um, it's just interesting, and I'm curious to see how it plays out for the different characters because I also think that different characters can feel different ways about what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because right now it seems like Percy's intrigued more than he is necessarily. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Whereas I think Francis and Monty and Donald, uh, but maybe maybe Donald and Francis more (laughs) so than Monty? uh, Question mark. I'd have to talk to Tommy about it a little more. But it seems like they are very like standing firmly in the something evil is happening that we need to stop. But yes, I don't think it necessarily much. has to be that way. Yeah. No, I think it's it's still very coded in Francis's mind of like, you know, you've got all of your willowy young innocents running around castles and bad things happen to them. And it's what's been the complication so far, right, is that it's not been easily stopped <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> and wrapped mm-hmm. up with like a tidy resolution. Um, I think the the realization that it is infinitely more complicated morally than that is going to be a little tricky to process for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for Percy too, it's like, you know, he hasn't experienced any of those things that several of the right. other characters have, but uh, partly because he's quite young. Um, mm. But also he's, you know, he's been bored his entire life, basically. So this is something that's real, you know, his whole life he's yeah. been insulated from real things for the most part. And this is something that's new and real to him. So you know, of course he's going to go after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for everybody. Absolutely. Um, so uh, so when we left our characters, they had broken into the apartment of the the man who the man whose arm they saw in the Seine <laughs> that kicked this whole thing off. Um, Fernal Roubaud. 
and they were searching around his apartment. Rose did an excellent job of of breaking uh, of breaking into the building and then breaking into his apartment. They were looking around, and just as Percy found a uh, a journal that was hidden between the radiator and the wall of Fernald's bedroom, a an older woman with a nightgown and curlers in her hair uh, appeared at the door and said, "What are you all doing in here?" And was holding a shotgun and pointing it at um, at Francis and Genevieve, who were in the main room. <laughs> and so that is where we are going to pick back up with the with the shotgun barrel with with Genevieve and Francis, or sorry, Genevieve and Rose, staring down the barrel of this shotgun. Would this be a situation for steel? Uh, it could be. If you, yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> if you if you want it, like you know, steel is is basically intimidation. If you think that trying to intimidate, the, if you think she can be intimidated, you certainly can try. <laughs> okay. You can take any approach that you want. Like right, like you all have various interpersonal abilities. Like you can you can take any approach you want, or you could shoot back. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> that I'm gonna start by just trying to reassure her. And hmm. then I'll use steel if I have to. Okay. Madame, excuse me, my name is Genevieve Cornelia Vanderbilt, and we have a very good reason for being here. Please lower your gun. I'll lower it when you tell me your good reason for being here. We have information about the person who used to live here, and we have been asked to investigate. Yes, he's dead. Asked by whom? By the authorities. Well, I, I can tell you that the authorities have already been around here. There were three men asking questions. I think they were officers. That They've already been here, so I can't imagine that you have any business here. And did they figure out what happened? No, I, I just heard that he was, that he washed up in the river somewhere. And they are still looking for more information, and they thought that we would be able to help. She, like, she kind of lowers the gun but she still doesn't seem totally convinced. You don't look like officers of the law. I think Francis has been kind of like edging quietly, like sure. hands up into the room from the bedroom. Madame, because we're not. Um, I mean, honestly, look at us. We're art students. We we knew Mr. Rubo from, from the school. Um, that's why they thought we could help, because we have all these connections and, you know, social Social ties that the the inspectors certainly couldn't be aware of. What school? He didn't go to any school. Damn. No. The the <laughs> the Ecole de Beaux Arts. He was starting to take classes in the afternoons. No, he didn't. He didn't tell me anything about that. Oh well, it's very new. And honestly, I'm going to level with you, ma'am. He's not very good, so I'm not surprised that he wouldn't share that information. I mean, honestly, I, trust me, I've seen some folks starting to take art classes that, whew, you should see a certain friend of mine's attempt to draw a fruit basket. Truly terrible. But, you know, Mr. Rubeau is, well, I don't know if, if he was ever destined to go very far, but, you know, unfortunately, he's not going to go any further. Well, why did you break in here? In the middle of the night. That doesn't seem very on the up and up. Well, we keep strange hours. You know about the students. <laughs> <laughs> up until dawn, sleeping all day, except for occasional class. Well, you you could have rung the bell. I, if you had said all this before, I maybe I would have let you in. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. We honestly, I we were standing outside and I was so concerned that we would wake you up. We were trying to not disturb anyone. I know how important it is that hours that are more traditional are kept in houses like this. And she seems like, she seems still dubious, but like somewhat mm-hmm. won over. And she kind of like, the gun kind of falls to her side and she closes the door and says, well, I just, I just don't want all these investigators roaming around oh. my building at all hours of the night. Of course and, not. But, uh, I mean, you're here now, so uh, what is it that you're looking for? I'm I'm Martha, by the way. What a pleasure to meet you, Martha. My name is Frances Anderson. Sure doesn't sound like an investigator to me. Uh, I don't know what this <laughs> world's coming to. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I, I never intended to be of any use in investigations, but <laughs> here I am. Isn't that... Funny, the turns that life takes. Indeed. Do you know anything about what Mr. Rubeau was up to before he died? Oh, for now. He he was a language tutor visiting homes and hotel rooms to teach French to English, English to French, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, young men his age really had a thing for the ladies, so that's really how he spent most of his time. It explains why he was so terrible in drawing class. He did love the students. Uh, that was the, they was usually <laughs> the ones that he went out with, and uh, that n- it never ended well. No, we're a very bad crowd. Yes, he, he had finally found a good girl, though. One that, well, you know, fit his station. Uh, her name was Clotilde. <gasps> she was a seamstress. How did he meet her? Hmm... I'm not sure. It could have been on. He could have been when he was working with one of his clients or something like that. And you liked her? Well, I never met her, but um, well, I felt like I knew her. Uh, you know, for now, he 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 didn't really have anyone else to talk to. Uh, he'd tell me about his business when he was feeling downhearted, and he was often feeling downhearted. Oh, let me tell you. Absolutely. Um, whether I wanted to hear about it or not. <laughs> what did he tell you about her? Oh, just that he was a, that she was a seamstress and that she seemed to like him and, well, I don't know, he, it seemed like he was losing interest already, and so, uh, I told him that he should just focus on her, focus on wooing her, Mm -hmm. settle down and get married, but would he listen to me? Absolutely not. He talked to me, but he wouldn't take my advice. Ugh. I, I mean, honestly, more, more the fool him, not speak ill of the, you know. Sure, sure. When, when, do you know when the last time he may have seen her was? Well, a few weeks back, he, um, well, he said he had gone to the park with her, and he told me he, I don't know, he saw something. It said it reminded him of something odd that had happened to him when he was younger. He was quite the foolish young boy, and I think he kept going back to the park. I, I'm not sure that he saw Clotilde after that. He... He took her there, and then he seemed to shift his focus. I don't know. Maybe he maybe he met a girl at the park, and so he kept going back there. I I don't know. What park? Oh, the Ile de la Jatte. The the park on the Ile de la Jatte. Ah, <sighs> we are familiar. It's a beautiful place, but he could he could have kept taking her back there instead of going without her and looking for whatever it was that he was looking for. Hmm. You know, I have already said all of this to those three men who came earlier today. They told me he had been found drowned near the bridge, but uh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm just rehashing all this. I'll just say that, in my experience, the authorities aren't always the most intelligent. Um, and I think, Percy, you're hearing this, and with your officialdom ability, a few things seem 
a little strange. <laughs> Police officers don't normally travel in threes. That would be out of the ordinary. She seems, like, not quite sure they were police officers, hmm. which also seems strange to you. They either would have been in uniform or they would have shown badges or something like that. And if they were investigators at all worth their salt, they would have found that journal that you just found. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm in the other room right now, I think, right? Yeah, but you can hear, but you can hear I mean, it's right. a small apartment. But, you can hear but I could have taken the journal right now and and, I, and maybe leaf through it real quick while she's going on and then put it away in my satchel. Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it definitely seems like his journal. It seems to be a lot like you're you're just kind of scanning through. It seems to be like he does. She seems to be right. He seems to be mm-hmm. um, lovesick all the time um, with <laughs> with various women that he has met, and it never seems to go well for him. And so he's constantly like hopelessly heartbroken and all of that. Uh, that's like through a quick scan. That is that's what you're getting from it. As as a poet, this is right up Percy's alley. Oh yeah, he's yeah, seen yeah, this yeah. before. <laughs> I think so. I think Percy he stows the journal discreetly. Um, I think he comes out um, with a big smile, trying to look as friendly and uh, you know non-threatening as possible. He's not trying to get his head blown off. And um, she says, "How many of you? How many of you are there? <laughs> this is it. coming out of that back room. Uh, the lady of the house is here. How wonderful! <laughs> uh, you know, I think." <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I noticed you said that there were three investigators here. Now, did they identify themselves as gendarme? Well, that yes, they they said that they were officers of the law. Did they show you a badge? Mm, no, but you don't have badges, do you? <laughs> no, of course not. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> did they happen to give you their names? No, I don't believe they did. Uh, oh, how rude. One was the one who did most of the talking. He was a burly sort in his 50s, and the other two were more muscular, quite a bit younger. They were, they seemed maybe like muscle, you know? Mm. Hmm. Um, I think Rose will pop in and say, um, uh, what did they ask you about your tenant? Did they have any particular questions that seemed maybe peculiar to you? No, they really just asked what he might have been doing at at La Grande Jatte. Uh, they didn't seem to care about much more other than why he might have been there. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and you don't think that after Clotilde, uh, your tenant was carrying on with another woman. He seemed preoccupied by returning to the park. Is that correct? Yes, he just kept going back to the park. He said he said it wasn't about another woman. I, you know, who can say? It would, you know, it would shock me that it wasn't, but he he said he was looking for something that he saw at the park. Did he describe it to you? No, he never would tell me, and he he told me way more than I wanted to know about anything, but he wouldn't ever tell me that. <laughs> oh, that sounds like him. <laughs> oh, Fernan. <laughs> A lovely boy, but uh, just hopeless. I think Percy jumps in and says, just just to be clear, madam, we are not officers of the law. We are officers of the arts. And he gives like a big flourish. <laughs> and he says, we, we are tuned to a higher frequency, a different frequency, a more beautiful frequency. She shoots you on the spot. Yeah, well. <laughs> he had no, I think he, um... <laughs> hmm. 
<laughs> One less artist in the world. <laughs> With his like official knowledge, is there anything else he could pick up about this that he could sort of probe at to say, to just to get more information about who these people might have been? Because we're pretty sure they're not actually the gendarme, but... Mm. They really seem to you to be no one related to, like, they're not investigators, they're not PIs. Mm -hmm. Like, the way that they went about this, like, they clearly have some other interest in this, and they are going about it in in a in a kind of blunt force um, way that does not seem very skilled or very subtle. Mm. I was, I was just, my, <laughs> learning from past situations, um, she strikes me as extremely straightforward, but is there anything that I would twig where, like, there's more that she's not telling us. No, no, no. She's <laughs> Just she's, checking. Just going to remember to do that little check. <laughs> she's happy no, she's to tell you anything that she knows. <laughs> and probably more, also, much like Fernan. Exactly. Uh, more than you want to know. <laughs> Great. Uh, did these three gendarmes take anything from his apartment? No, I, I let him up here. They looked around for a minute, and then they left. Mm-hmm. Mm. And did they give you any idea of where they intend to go next, just for our own edification? No. Did they ask you about anything that we haven't asked you about? Only what he only what he might have been doing. I said that he often went to the park. He said he was looking for something. I, I don't know. Mm. Uh, and do you happen, and just because I sounds like you had a very close relationship with your tenant, uh, do you happen <laughs> to have the, uh, to know where... Any of his students might live, or Clotilde. We'd just love to get in touch with anyone who has last seen him. I have no idea. I, like I said, he mm. he wanted me to know much more about his personal life than I had any desire to know. He was a lonely boy. He just loved to chat. And, <laughs> and you don't know where Clotilde lived or worked? No. She was a seamstress, uh, and a poor one, I think, so that's all I know. Did he ever happen to... Potentially, how to put it, did you ever get a whiff off him like he was experimenting with strange new perfumes and colognes? <laughs> no, he wasn't a man for for those uh, sorts of things. He had a nice, masculine, a nice masculine musk. <laughs> <laughs> That's our boy, who we all know very well. <laughs> I do love that this is the second round of strangers this woman has found, like in this <laughs> yeah. apartment. And she's like, she's like, I don't love it, but like, here's every detail. I well, can no, give no, you. no. She yeah. she let the men into oh, the apartment. Okay. Yeah. They they yeah. came through the official route. They came and talked to her during the day. Yeah. <laughs> right. They did not pick the lock. Yeah. In the middle yeah. of the night. No, they did not. Did we pick the lock or did we chisel out the locking apparatus? <laughs> you know what? That was in the, in the room. You, it, oh, by the way, you're going to pay for this lock. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish so so badly that Francis were the type to just want to bill the local constabulatory. But um, no, she's not. She's going to leave some money. <laughs> I think the Vanderbilts will happily leave some money. Excellent. <laughs> Way too much money for a lot. <laughs> we have no idea what that would cost. <laughs> yeah. It's a banana. How much can it cost, Mike? <laughs> $10? <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I'm like, what? I feel like this is a lot of other threads to pull on, mm. but not 100% sure on like how to figure out yeah. who they are. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, can anyone think of anything else we could get from her? I feel like 
No, I think we've gotten yeah. the location we need to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. Get our sniffers on. Yeah. Oh, and he didn't have any other... This is Rose asking. Uh, he didn't have any other, like, friends that he kept in touch with, maybe in this building, that we could speak to about his comings and goings. Don't you think if he had any friends, he would have talked to somebody besides me? <laughs> you you have me there, madam. <laughs> Touché. I certainly wasn't his type, so I don't know why he was talking to me if he had other people to talk to. Maybe I would have been in my younger days, but... Oh! <laughs> uh, I like that you've given her, like, a three-pack-a-day voice, by the way. Yeah, it's <laughs> really great. <laughs> yeah. They had people who smoked back then. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Especially in Paris. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. She's probably got one in right now. <laughs> you woke her up from her sleep, and yeah. now she... <laughs> mm-hmm. Shotgun in one hand, cigarette in the other. (laughs) Oh, a classy dame. (laughs) Ma'am, I think you've been tremendously helpful. Obviously, you know, we're all very sad about our our dear friend. But I I trust that if we, if ever we think of anything else we should ask, like, I promise we'll come during the day. We'll knock very politely. We'll ring the door. We very much appreciate your help. I'll be here. Yes, you will. And I need someone's name to take... Oh, no, you you gave me some money for the lock. All right. Get out of here. <laughs> okay. Is she making us leave? Are yeah. we leaving? Okay. All right. Got it. She was great. Okay. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Boy. So, like, assuming... Are we going to try and, like, check on anybody else in the rest of the building or probably just time to make the exit right like let's go okay i think we gotta go yeah i think percy will do his rounds first in the neighborhood um and if possible he will ask around for anything about this this individual but that's it um which which uh about about which individual sorry about fair now yes and also the his girlfriend clotilde yeah clotilde what are the rest of you doing Honestly, I think Francis is beat. I think she's got to get some sleep. Okay. Yeah. Should we all make a plan to reconvene tomorrow morning? Morning? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're welcome to use the extra bedrooms in my apartments if you would like. Oh, that's terribly kind. Uh, That would save me a bit of a trip. I'd, I'd be delighted. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Alice makes a lovely breakfast in the morning. Ah, uh, I mean, it's it's no Alphonse, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, like, reconvening at the Vanderbilt residence early morning, potentially? Yeah? Okay. Well, and, and Genevieve and Percy don't live together, so, Percy, hmm. are you going to go over to Genevieve's oh, in the morning? Or, well, we can get to that. Yeah, I think yeah. Percy, we'll he'll go We'll have to go, go wake him up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I always imagine he lives, like, down the street or something. Yeah, Cause yeah she, isn't that he, far? Sure. I don't think she would let him, like, out of her sight <laughs> for the most part. No. So No. But I think he will take a couple hours to go around and do whatever sure. he does. And then he will get, you know, however much sleep he can. Okay. Yeah, so you, um, is, before I, before I go to Percy, is anyone doing anything in particular before they go to sleep? I'm going to check in with Alice and make sure she hasn't seen any other strange people or received any other strange mm. strange letters and inform sure. her that Francis will be staying with us for the night. <laughs> oh, how lovely. I'll, I'll, I'll make up the room very quickly. Uh, it, it'll be lovely for you, Ms. Anderson. Thank you so much. It's very kind. Um, and she has not seen any other strange people or um, received any more invitations. Great. 
I think Francis is going to finish her sketch um, of Fiona and is also, now that she's seen her, is going to sketch uh, Casilda. Okay. But I think that's all she's really going to do before she goes to bed. Okay. Um, and what about um, what about Rose? I think Rose is going to go back to her own home. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, you know, maybe in her own journal, take like notes of what happened today. Um, because she has been kind of keeping extensive notes about mm-hmm. what's been happening in general. Um, and then I think that's it. I think okay. she'll go to sleep. How's she feeling? Rose? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rose is feeling unsettled. Um, I do think that when she gets home, after she's written her notes and probably tried to fall asleep but laying awake for a little while, um, she will pull back the curtain on the statue that she has been working on because Mm -hmm. she wants to see. I think she's going to reach out because she wants to see if it is has blood tears. Uh, No, it's doing what it has been doing. Okay. And I think that's it. I think, you know, I think she's feeling a mix of unsettled and a mix of like a macabre excitement at the same time. Which I imagine is one of the like she hasn't felt a lot of excitement recently. So even if it's no. even if it's um, perverted in some way, it's like it feels like a reawakening a little bit. Yeah. 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 All right. So, Percy, um, you you go around the neighborhood to your usual haunts, kind of ask around about Fernau, about Clotilde. um, some people know him. Mm. You know, he spends time in this neighborhood too. People kind of similar to the way Martha described him. Um, you know, he's kind of always with a new woman, a new girl. Well, I, in fact, actually, a lot of the a lot of the college the the college students, the women, have like gone on a date with him, or like <laughs> you know, people you know, like he he seems to have made his made his rounds through kind of the students that live in the area. A few of them also mention that there were three men asking mm. around about him earlier that day, mm. um, kind of in the afternoon, evening time, um, all matching the description that Martha gave you as well. Interesting. Nothing um, but else? Nobody has any, yeah, nobody has any, like, it doesn't seem like he had anyone that was particularly close with him. Um, nobody knows who Clotilde is. Um, and, you know, nobody had gone on a date with him recently um, or anything like that. Okay. Hmm. I think Percy is also, you know, if he's like sitting late at a bar or something, sort of winding down, he's mm-hmm. um, he's also flipping through the journal. In I know he gave sort of a cursory mm. look before, but I think he's looking in more detail now just to see, mm-hmm. just, you know, learn a little bit who who this guy is, but also just learn, see if there's anything that feels off. Sure. So you start to look through and a lot of the, especially early in the journal, there's a lot of, and this is, this is clearly not the only journal that he's ever written in, right? Because it doesn't go that far back. Um, He seems to be kind of a, a prolific journaler. And you notice that he actually switches between French and English um, pretty frequently in the Mm -hmm. journal. You know, it's, you know, as somebody who is used to kind of working in both languages as he does, it wouldn't be shocking to kind of use use whichever language was um, kind of more suited to whatever it was that he was trying to express. But I think you read French as easily as you read English, so I don't think you have any trouble with it. Especially early on, there's a lot of idle chatter about his kind of romantic attachments that always seem to go badly for him. 
he also like pretty frequently complains about a fr about someone he refers to as his best friend, Kristoff, who hmm. seems to habitually move in on the girls who <laughs> Farinau was interested in. And hmm. he, but he doesn't seem to like make the connection there. Oh, just kind of sad. Hmm. But a few of the more recent entries, things start to change a bit. He starts talking about being interested in finding a copy of a band play called The King in Yellow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, it's possible that you have occasionally heard about this play. Like it's, especially over the past six months or so. It seems like people, especially in kind of the darker, shadier circles or the like the most artsy, like the people who really want to be on the cutting edge of the art world are in like hushed tones talking about this play that has been banned by the authorities. But that there are a few copies kind of floating around um, that people want to get their hands on. You probably like at least kind of in the back of your mind are like, man, I'd love to read this thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right up his alley. <laughs> but for now also wants to read it and can't seem to find anyone who owns a copy of it. But then he tells you, you're, you like kind of get engrossed in, in a particular story that he tells about one night at a cafe where he hears three art lovers talking about the play. And he, he describes how even hearing them quote a few lines of it started him breathing heavy and sweating. Like it, it had like a physical effect on him just hearing a couple lines of this play. And then after he gets home and goes to sleep, he says that a woman in a stunning blue dress <gasps> entered his room somehow and began to speak to him. <sighs> but she was wearing a mask shaped like a skull and she spoke in a very melodious voice and she warned him that he should stop seeking the play since he's the sort of person who dies at the beginning of a story so that others may find out who did it. What? Wow. Which is just... <laughs> The most shade. <laughs> Just oh, absolutely yeah. the most absolutely. shade. Absolutely. Um, what a sick burn. I kinda wanna use that. Yeah. Yeah. Percy like jots the line down right. and I go and use this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You seem like a real precipitating event, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that the woman stressed more than anything that he should avoid the king, avoid his princesses, and should not seek the nobles of Carcosa. That's the end of that particular entry, but then the next few pages consist of feverish declarations of love for the woman in blue. Yeah. Who he calls the Duchess. Mm. <laughs> I'm seeing Lindsay's reaction. She's not there right now, but yes, who he calls the Duchess. He stops looking for the play, but starts looking for her, but can't ever find her again. And this is actually still like a few months ago. Oh, okay. Hmm. And then he eventually kind of forgets about her and he starts um, his relationship with Clotilde. But then he says that he's going to take her to the park. And the next entry, he says that at the park, he saw an inhuman creature that he calls the Skulk. And he realizes instantly when he sees this thing that it serves one of the princesses that the Duchess had mentioned. And he's sure that if he can find it and confront it, it will tell him where the Duchess is. And this last entry was dated a week ago. Excellent. Wow. I need you to, before you say how you <laughs> how you feel about this, I need you to please roll me a composure check. Oh, no. 
Um, um, and let me know if you want to spend anything on it. Yeah, I would. I'd like to spend one. Okay, and what's your what's your reasoning for that? I think because Percy is particularly the mention of the band play, which he has maybe heard of before and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's the kind of thing that stimulates Percy. That makes him curious. So this is unsettling and strange, but okay. um, I think it's right up his alley. Hmm. All right, I rolled a six, so. All right, so a seven, so you don't take a card. Um, wow. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Percy is, he was already, you know, on the, like a hound on the scent here, and I think he is uh-huh. extra invigorated by this as much as i wanted him to go home and have a restful evening after doing this i don't think it's gonna happen Um, (laughs) well maybe a little bit but i think he'll be thinking about the what he's just read all night Uh i think i mean i think first he's he wants to tell everybody so he is going to go to that meeting in the morning as promptly as he possibly can which is not typical Mm -hmm. for him Uh but i think he's particularly struck by um i mean the duchess Definitely. I think he has a suspicion that the princesses, that one of them is Casilda, who he has taken a liking to. So that was very interesting for him. Very curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's already sort of sorting some of these characters he's read about into camps and mm-hmm. siding himself on Casilda's camp a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, associating the skulk with the thing they've been chasing and the other camp. I think he's sort of piecing these things together like this. Um, but I think this just, for him, it reiterates the desire to go to the park as soon as possible um, and just see if they can see anything like they did earlier that day that might give them another lead. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think as Percy is thinking all of those things, you know, he's made his way back to his apartment and drifts off to sleep. And the morning comes. Anything anybody is doing in particular in the morning before the meeting um, you know, I think, you know, Rose and Percy, you're at your respective apartments. Francis and Genevieve, you're in Genevieve's apartments. Um, Francis is going to ask Alice specifically if she got any response from the note that she sent out to Donald and Monty. No. Okay. She did not. What, do you, what did that note say? It, I think the gist of it was she mentioned that there was oh, a I strange think you, you, you invitation. Said sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wanting to say something else was up on the island. Gotcha. Okay. Others? Anything you're doing in particular? I'm going to get ready for the day, which means that Alice is going to help me do my hair and <laughs> get my gown on and then have a nice breakfast and some tea and then uh, make sure I have my gun stowed. That's Sounds it. good. All right. Uh, Rose, I think, you know, it probably wasn't the most restful night of sleep in her life, but she gets up. She gets ready, you know, pulls on clean clothes, you know, a quick scrub of her face, um, grabs something to eat on the way over, and um, arrives just on time. Okay. What about Percy? Um, does this count as engaging in a restful activity for Percy? Yes, it does. Yes, hey! it does. Fantastic. Hey! <laughs> so he's discarding his shock card. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think he's with a little bit more enthusiasm than usual getting ready for the day. And going over to Genevieve's. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Francis, I think as you're kind of getting ready and prepping yeah. for the morning, you go over to the two sketches that you had made the night before. Uh-huh. What are you going to say <laughs> there? What about them? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the one that you made of Casilda has a mask covering her face now. Yeah, it does. <sighs> 
I I don't even know what Francis is gonna do with that. Um, do you think it's shocking to her? I no, I think shocking is not what it is anymore. Yeah, I think she is. She's gonna get that bite of of anger that's mm-hmm. been kind of behind a lot of how she's been feeling the last twenty four hours, and she is going to also just kind of resign herself to that happening again Mm -hmm. and turn over the page. All right. All right. So the four of you um, convene in the morning at Genevieve's apartments to talk and to to plan for the day. I I assume Percy is going to kick off by telling everybody everything he learned in the journal. (laughs) Sure. Sure. (laughs) Maybe embellishing just a tiny bit. Uh-huh. So Genevieve, I think this is probably the first time that you've ever heard of any of this. I'm not sure that you would have heard of the King in Yellow because I'm not sure that you ever interact with people that would have talked about it. Probably not. But it is very strange, um, everything that you're hearing here. And I think that it's it's at least evidence that it's either evidence of something very supernatural going on or that this person who died has lost their mind. Um, and I think either of those things is unsettling for you. So I need you to roll me a composure check, please. Um, and let me know if you'd like to spend anything on it. Mm, okay. How many more crazy things are we going to say? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spend one because I think that at this point, you know, we all kind of like realize that this is a little bit crazy and uh, we were sort of expecting that this was part of, like, it just makes sense that this, that he had seen this, like, creature before, and mm-hmm. that somehow this Casilda woman was probably involved, and so it doesn't seem all that surprising to me, and and I have a tendency to to not be surprised by things and to yep. pretend that I know they were coming, so. Yep. Alright. Alright, go ahead and roll it. Six, so seven. Alright, you are okay. Francis... Yes. When you hear reference to the king in yellow. Yeah. I think I think you've known or believed that all of this was connected. Yeah. But I think hearing that and that it's not just what was written on the walls of Calvin Lee's apartment. It's not just something that is being transcribed and told by the ghost and turned into an opera that that there seem to be actual copies of this play circulating around the art scene in Paris mm. to the point that people can quote from it mm. is extremely unsettling for you. Um, and so I Absolutely. need you to roll me a composure check, please. <gasps> okay. Um, how much composure do I have left in the tank? One point. Um... I'm not. I'm not gonna use it. Um, okay. I'm just gonna go because, yeah, I think deep down, Francis kind of suspected. Let's see. Oh boy, oh boy. Five. Five. Okay. And I think Rose. I think the mention of the Duchess really triggers something for you. I wouldn't say that the description that Fernau gives of the person that he calls the Duchess aligns super closely with the woman in the bedroom who caused you to lose your fingers. 
He said stunning blue dress. The woman there was wearing a light blue dress. She was not wearing a mask shaped like the skull. I'm not sure she had a melodious voice, but even so, hearing the name the Duchess, I think pretty squarely connects what you experience to this experience, even if those two people are not the same person. Um, mm-hmm. So I need you to roll me a composure check as well. Okay. Um, I am not going to use any because I do think that despite like what this experience has brought out for Rose, I just think like hearing that name again sort of takes her right back to mm-hmm. how terrifying that was. So yeah. I'm going to roll. I got a one. <gasps> <gasps> Woo! Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, this is just two, right? This is just two. <laughs> we back at it, huh? Oh, but it, this is just two cards? Uh, I don't have it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the other one is like kind of a good one. So That's true. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but it still counts as <laughs> for the three. I know. I know. I know. Um, so you are taking, you fail by more than one. So you are taking the major shock card um, for the um, shock of things go from bad to worse. Um, and it is called time to panic. Mm. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Time to panic. Um, you get a minus one to focus test, and it says make a tick mark whenever another PC succeeds at a test. Start over on any failure. Discard Ooh. when you have three tick marks. That's also cool. Interesting. Sorry. So make a tick mark whenever another PC, so any of the rest of the team, yep. makes a test and gets it. Yeah, right? succeeds like, at a test, yep. Okay, and then if I get three in a row, I can discard yes. this? Okay. If three in a row, discard, but anytime anyone fails, I have to start over again. Okay. Yep. Don't let me down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, but all right, so you now, are between so now, me and insanity. <laughs> so, now yeah. all, so now all of, all of you have just heard Percy recount this. Yeah. So how do you react to that? I think... Genevieve will immediately start giving all of her thoughts and <laughs> theories. And what are those thoughts? Let's hear them. The princesses are clearly Casilda and Camilla, her sister. Um, the skulk is clearly our creature with sharp pointy teeth who keeps ripping mm. people apart. Our aquatic ape. <laughs> yes, the aquatic yes. ape. With Genevieve the round is mouth. not calling it that because that sounds dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, it does. <laughs> but you can call it that if you'd like. <laughs> um, you can sound dumb. That works for you. <laughs> you pull it off. <laughs> Lean into your strengths. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, my my first thought is I wonder if Bastion was also looking into this King in Yellow. So perhaps we could go back and interview the priest if he's revived himself by now <laughs> see if there is any more information on that if but that's maybe not our first priority mm. also curious about the friend Kristoff mm-hmm. yeah that's I all just, I got I feel like I feel like we have to go back to the park yeah I feel like we have to do what he did and wander around smelling as hard as we can <laughs> and just Pray to God we stumble upon it before it stumbles upon anything else with its teeth. Um, and I think for Rose, I think, you know, she's listening along in a very... I mean, this is like a wealth of information, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and, you know, intrigued by, like, 
the friend and like the play. I think the moment she does hear the Duchess as described, like although it is very different than the person that she interacted with, I think it's kind of like that tunnel vision moment where like they're talking, but it start it gets like a little fuzzy and it's like hard for her to follow because she's like right back in that room with like the winter wind blasting at her and you know she's like throwing the knife to Manu and then just you know kind of it all goes black and so I think she zones out for a moment and then comes back a little bit into the room just as they're talking about like their next leads and I think she volunteers like in an as an even voice as possible I I I don't know if this is the same person but I think I've met this duchess before that was mentioned uh she was not, and she pauses here and then, you know, picks it back up again. She was not someone that we should try and cross paths with again. I I agree. I think going back to the park is is one of our best leads. And then she just falls silent. So is the plan to head back to the park? I think so. Right? I think so. Unless, like, is there anything else that we want to, like, split up? Because I do feel like there's a couple ends here. Was mm-hmm. there, I think, like, Rose would ask Percy, like, this Kristoff, you know, was there anything about, like, where they usually meet up or I think in the journal? That's a good question. Was there anything that points to where we would find Kristoff or no? No, he doesn't He, he doesn't do a lot of actual detailing of events. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of it's a lot of emotion in the journal. Um, <laughs> and so, no, it, it's it's as if the reader should know who Kristoff is. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm, right. Okay, and same for Clotilde. I'm assuming no like specific. Correct. I mean, they went to the park. Um, He doesn't. He doesn't even say what park in the journal. Like you know, because the landlady told you. Right. Um, But he doesn't even Mm -hmm. say what park it was that they went to. Okay. It's like he wasn't even planning on getting murdered after having. (laughs) How real. It's like he wasn't. It was messed up. Is there? Um, I remember that one of the things the landlady said was. He said, or rather, I'm sorry, was it the landlady or was it the journal that, like, it was something, like, he'd seen as a child? It was the landlady. Just something yeah. that he'd seen when he was younger is what it said. Mm. Is there, obviously, it, it sounded like the journal only got good Percy towards, you know, the immediate, the immediate past. I don't suppose it, it goes back as far as randomly recounting younger experiences. This journal doesn't, but actually, yeah. I think, I think... Percy, you would you would remember from the journal that he, you know, he he had a bit he had a bit of a bit of a poet in him as well. Aha. And in the in the <laughs> of course. Spirit. <laughs> he he talks a few times about how he feels like a different person after he met the duchess. <laughs> and so you think that maybe what the landlady was picking up on is he maybe he said something like in a past life oh, to her, mm. um, and she interpreted that as in his younger days. But um, mm. it, but like that's kind of a clear um, illusion that he's making is that like everything that happened before he met the Duchess felt like a past life. Did it like a- after he like first met the Duchess? You said it kind of like tailed off and then he starts mm-hmm. going back to his normal contributions. Yes. Did that sound like a different guy or was that sort of a, a return to form? He did seem like he did seem changed. Mm. He seemed um I mean I think a bit more mad. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean I I feel like we have to go to the park. I do think I like the idea of going by the church cuz I 
now that we have some more of this context, it feels like I don't think the beast thing would have gone after this guy in the churchyard purely at random. So like, it kind of feels like there's more to unpack there, but I don't know if we want to split up and check out both of them. I mean, I think, I mean, we could, right? Because like the church isn't that far from the the park and the mm-hmm. park, I'm assuming, is like it's like a relative size, right? Yeah, so it is. We might do like a quick swing through the church, just That's like fair. see what's happening there, and then like meet up with the other two. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Two of the so church. Who, who are you're, you're? Are you all gonna go to the church, or are you gonna two of you are gonna go to the church? I and feel two like are it's start on the, the way. Park? I think we can we can do a swing by and carry on. Yeah, yeah. that works. Okay, so you leave the Latin Quarter, kind of make your way back to New Yi. And you, you know, you're, you're heading toward the Ile de la Jatte with the church on the way. And so, you know, you see the, you see the steeple of the church well in advance of, of actually getting there. And as you get closer, you hear what sounds like men kind of talking loudly, kind of arguing down an alleyway. And you kind of look around the corner and you see three men. <gasps> one of them is kind of speaking loudly to another one, and the other the, the other one that he's speaking to seems like he's getting very angry. And man, they really fit the description of mm. the men that the landlady was describing. There's a burly middle-aged man and two younger men who look larger and stronger. And that is where we're going to end our story mm. for now. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to know what they're saying. <laughs> Come yeah. on. They're wearing shirts that say Team Camilla. Right? What <laughs> <laughs> are these dudes? <laughs> yeah. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy along with the music from the Yellow King Suite, written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. <laughs>